When you go inward and you find the inner peace and remember who you are, it is a byproduct to be the, of service to the greater good. You, you can't not be of service to answer. So that what ended up happening is I started experiencing inner peace. Like for somebody like me to feel inner peace, it felt like so, something so elusive. And so I thought, do people know? <laughs> like I, I genuinely was sitting at a coffee shop and I'm going, do people know that you can reach the state through sketching? Because nobody told me that. And I have been a drawer sketcher my entire life. Today I sit down and talk with Sheila Darcy, author of the new and terrific book, Sketch by Sketch, a wonderful book on how to embark upon a creative path for emotional healing and transformation. The book, published by St. Martin's Press, a part of Macmillan and Hay House UK, recently hit bookstores and has already received critical acclaim from some pretty incredible people like Gabor Mate, David Perlmutter, and Pedram Shojai, the New York Times bestselling author of The Urban Monk. Sheila Darcy has 20 years of experience as a facilitator and consultant in the technology and digital agency space. Her Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from the University of Memphis, her certification in social-emotional arts from UCLA, and her work with Fortune 500 companies all come together to give Sheila a unique understanding of what drives transformational growth in individuals, and how art can be instrumental in healing the trauma and anxiety that may be impeding our learning and growth. I want to take a moment to tell you something you may not know about me and this podcast. I don't have a marketing budget or a team of people helping me produce this podcast. It's all me, and it's a gift from my heart to yours. You are my team. I'm on a mission to bring these conversations into the mainstream so that we can start to heal the limiting collective beliefs about creativity that I believe are causing humanity to glitch. So today, will you please share this podcast with a couple of your friends? You could send them an email or a text with a link to the show right now as you're listening. And then hop over to Apple Podcasts and write a review and leave some stars. These things may seem too small to bother with, but I promise you they have a huge impact And I'm so grateful for each and every one. Every time you do this, it helps us reach so many more ears and so many more hearts. I am so grateful for your support. Thank you. As is sometimes the case, I never got a chance to tell Sheila what the word I pulled at the beginning of today's show was. And as usual, it was the perfect word. I'll tell you towards the end of the show what that word was. But if you listen carefully to Sheila's voice, I think you might be able to guess what it was. Sheila and I had an instant connection. This whole conversation took place right inside a beautiful stream of pure flow state for both of us. I deeply appreciated how grounded she was in the wisdom and clarity she has cultivated for herself through her sketch poetic method. And I appreciated her raw openness, vulnerability, and honesty. I am so glad she wrote this book And I'm incredibly grateful I got the chance to talk with her about it and to be sharing our conversation with you today. Sheila's going to walk us through one of the prompts that appears in her book. And I wanted to let you know to maybe pause the episode and go get your microns or a pen. She encourages us not to work with pencil and she'll explain why. And be ready for that part of the show. I really enjoyed doing the sketch with her. 
I've read her book from cover to cover and I've done a number of her sketches a number of times. And I have to tell you, I do feel a shift. I think that what Sheila is giving us with this method is a wonderful gift for self-discovery. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I am. And now here's my conversation with Sheila Darcy. Sheila, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I am so excited. It's good to see your beautiful face. You too. And we were just talking to you in the, in the pre-show about both of us have these, we'll put them in the show notes, but we both have our beautiful backgrounds up behind us of mm-hmm. artwork that we've created. I love seeing you framed by yours. It's gorgeous. Same. It feels like it sets the tone for the conversation. Which it I totally love. does. Yeah. And I love being surrounded by handmade things and art and real. It just feels so grounding and real. At the beginning of every episode, I like to sort of give just a little context about what I'm doing here with the Creative Genius Podcast. And it's really simple. I started this podcast because I really felt like humanity was glitching and that it's because of these, because I, I tried to figure out why for a long time, like we all know there's something wrong, like something, you know, but when I really sat with it and, and examined for myself why I felt that was happening, what I came to realize was that it's because we're not expressing our creativity is what it comes down to. And the, the reasons we're not expressing our creativity are that we've come to collectively believe a, a handful of, of really limiting beliefs around creativity, which are that you know, creativity only belongs to certain people. It's a gift and you either have it or you don't, and you, and you probably don't. So you shouldn't even try, um, that the product of, any, of creativity, if you were brave enough to try being creative, would have to look or feel a certain way to be good or acceptable. Um, and, and that it's really only available to certain people, really, ultimately. And so I know that those things are not true. And I actually know that creativity, I mean, it's the doorway to, it's, it's curiosity, it's gut instinct, it's um, it's just your inner know, like it's a whole level of it. It's a whole facet of our intelligence that's required for a healthy, happy human life existence, but then also, you know, humanity itself. So I, I'm on a mission to challenge these beliefs out loud in the mainstream and have this conversation, you know, over and over again until as many people as I can help hear it. And because rem- it's a remembering, we need to remember that this intelligence lives inside every single one of us. It's not something we have to go out and do or get or be. Yes, we have to cultivate it. It's like a muscle. It's like any other, you know, form of intelligence, but it is our birthright. It is in in every single one of us. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Me too. I can, if, he, if people are watching us, if they were to watch us, my neck would be sore right now because I keep nodding everything you said. And we talked about that. There is so much synergy and synchronicity in everything we say and do. Yeah. It's almost like I met my kindred spirit in you. And it's just amazing. I'm yeah. so excited about our I, conversation. Me too. I feel like that too. And so before I get going, I mean, I want to talk to you about, you've, you've recently written a book called Sketch by Sketch. Yes. And uh, I, I feel like it's a, and I'm not being dramatic, but I feel like it's a really important book um, because what you're doing with it is you're offering people a practical accessible doorway back to this realm within ourselves so that we can resolve this glitch. So, because when we practice what you're saying, we can practice and get good at, you know, that's, that's how we're actually going to, so a couple of things, congratulations on writing the book. Thank you. I keep on wanting to exhale so loudly whenever somebody says congratulations. I bet. Because that's how it feels. It Mm -hmm. feels like I gave birth to something and it's finally out there. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And as a mother, I know you get that. It's yeah. Like, oh, finally. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to congratulate you and I also want to thank you because I think it's an important contribution to to this sort of next level of of work that I feel like we're collectively doing as a as a species, as an entity, as a as a collective. Um, and I want to talk about the book a little bit more, but I I was I was hoping that as a way to, for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better, you you might tell us a little bit about you and specifically, you know, as I read the book, it became really obvious to me that you are somebody who has walked through something, walked having ha- having myself also walked through fire in in my own life. I recognize that that there's a there's some sort of hallmark qualities of somebody who's gone through something really big walked through the fire, mind the gifts. And, and there's this instinct that I think happens when we go through something like that, where it's so transformational that we feel compelled then to share it with others, which I feel is what you've done with this book. And I was wondering if you could tell us what, what was that, uh, mm. that you walked through that led you to sketching in the first place? There's two words that you said that really speak to the heart of why I started sketching in the first place. One is the remembrance. And two, when you say the word glitch, it immediately takes me to my, my, like my background is all tech consulting. So when you say glitch, I think about tech. So I have been basically my entire adult life have been a businesswoman. You know, I've lived that corporate vibe, that corporate culture, corporate language, and I've abandoned the artist self for over 20 years. I, I toyed around with it but I never really played and imagined. And what ended up happening is I had to travel and fly for work as part of growing the business. And I started having a debilitating anxiety flying, uh, specifically turbulence. And it got to a point over a period of a decade where the fear of flying was so bad, I'd have to get wasted to get on the flight. Mm. And I used alcohol as a way to you know, push all those feelings down. And in that process, I realized something had to give. Like I couldn't spend my entire life pushing down something. So I finally saw a therapist And I had, I don't know about you, but I had such a stigma around mental health. Culturally, we never talked about therapy. I never spoke about my emotions. I was raised to feel grateful for everything. So going to your question, when I saw this therapist, she described anxiety to me in ways that nobody had ever described it to me before. And it was how it was showing up in my body. She said, anxiety is energy in your body. You're not releasing. And that energy is created by emotions you're not expressing. And when she said it that way, I'm like, oh my gosh. She goes, so what are those emotions you're not expressing? And I said, anger, sadness, shame. And she said, like immediately after she said, do you have a healthy way to express your emotions? And I remembered as a child, I used to draw, but I used to draw to escape my life. So when you ask me that you, you can tell I've had a difficult you know, life, the reality is my childhood is filled with a lot of trauma. A lot of uh, you know adverse childhood experiences. There's this thing called an ACE score that they use in in the U.S. prison system, and basically an ACE score. People usually with five or above have you know a very challenging life. Like they, their life turns out sideways. So fortunately for me, and I say fortunately, I actually compartmentalized all of it, <laughs> and I pushed through it. But but the adverse part of it caught up with me. So I became lacking in mindfulness, and that's pretty much how it all started. Is I decided to address my anxiety in a healthy way. So I started to commit to daily sketching and that's how Sketch Poetic came to be. Was that something that she suggested to you in a therapeutic setting or is that something that just kind of you came to you and you thought, I'll, I'll just do this and see No, I think it was just the connection, like a piece of the puzzle came right. together. And I listen, I think you and I both have this. 
I'm giving you a, what I call a, a rational answer, but the reality is there was definitely something spiritual happening. There was something bigger at play. I felt the world was shifting. I, I, know, I know it was very palpable for all of us. And then look, the COVID hits and the pandemic hits. So clearly something was happening. And if you have any sort of empathy or intuition, something was on the undercurrent. And I clearly needed to be part of that wave, which is actually the sketch behind me that you're seeing. Uh, I felt a tsunami was coming and I needed to be a part of it. And I, didn't, I couldn't describe the energy, honestly, Kate, but I just knew something had to, had to give. So I think unconsciously, I heard a call and I answered it. I feel that's what that, I really yeah. think that the real answer is. I, that exact, I feel exactly the same way about this work with the podcast. Like it was, I heard a voice. I heard, yeah. I was, and I'm not that kind of, I don't hear voices. No, I'm not either. I'm a business, I was like <laughs> yeah. all about business. Yeah. And yeah. I felt it. Mine was an yeah. energy thing, yeah. but I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So when you were doing, so you're starting to do these sketches and you're, I love that realization around uh, and what she told you about unexpressed emotions and how, you know, they don't need to, and that's yeah. what anxiety is. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to actually go back and write that down yeah, when I, when it, I really listen really to this, because yeah. I feel like that's such an important, simple, but important realization around art and sketching and stuff. But what, I'm wondering when you were doing your sketching, was there a point when you realized that it was, because I feel like it came, it was more than just that. It, it, it started off as that as a way to express it. But then as you started doing it, you sort of realized, oh, I'm showing myself things here. Yes. So what, did you realize that? Like, when, when did you realize you were? Well, yeah, that's, that's the beautiful part of my journey. And I believe, I hopefully was able to express that in the book. So I, in the book, I kind of guide you through what ended up happening, the unfolding that was happening for me. So when I first started, it was doodling. Like in the tr traditional sense, I was using it to kind of meditate into it. But what ended up happening is exactly what you said. As I was meditating into the doodling aspect, the flow state, the subconscious and unconscious thoughts were starting to come to conscious state. Like it's, I started becoming aware of them. And part of the reason I think sketching was my tool versus yoga and meditation is I had this perception about yoga and meditation that I had to push my thoughts away. And if I couldn't quiet my mind, I would actually beat myself up. And so I just said, I sucked at it. I'm like, I suck at yoga. I suck at meditation. But when I was sketching, I actually invited those thoughts in. And what ended up happening, Kate, is I realized, oh, I don't need to push it away. What I need to be able to do is just let it flow through and not get attached to it. So what ended up happening is I started to sketch and subconscious, unconscious thoughts, memories, experiences, emotions. But instead of holding on to something, I just let it flow and I used it to inspire my mark making. So if my thoughts jumped, my marks would jump. If my thoughts became heavy, I would mark, you know, make marks heavy. So what I was doing is, in, in essence, orchestrating what was happening in my mind and using it as inspiration rather than pushing it away. And that's the magic of it, is actually using all the things that you think are you know, going to create chaos. It actually created peace for me. What about the part of the mind that wants to come in when we're doodling even and say, mm -hmm. oh, that, that doesn't look very good. You need to, yeah. that should, you should make that look better. Like how that, or that's not good. Like, I feel like you had a moment where it really landed for you that, that, the, that the gift here was, I need to make the, make this for me for this purpose that you just described, as opposed to trying to make something good. Well, but what did you do with that part of you? <laughs> well, there's a shortcut answer to that. But at the time I didn't know that's what was happening is Whenever the judge or critics, I'm a perfectionist. So one of the things I do encourage people to do is use a pen, not a pencil, because I knew intuitively if I used a pen, I couldn't undo it. So this was all a metaphor. There's nothing that's happening on paper that's not happening in my life. 
So to your point, if I'm thinking this isn't perfect, this isn't good, I have somebody in my head, an audience participant in my head, a teacher, a spouse, my parents, that is a critic. And then I've embodied that critic in my own mind. So when those thoughts were coming in and they were coming in, (laughs) for sure, instead of, um, again, judging and, and feeling shame around it, I started to get curious. Like curiosity, definitely. I, I fundamentally believe when you're curious, it it cannot sit in the same space as judgment because there's only one. You know, there's only one space. So when I'm curious about it, so that's what happened. Those thoughts would come in, and I go, "Well, that's interesting. Why am I feeling like I just messed up that piece of you know that sketch? Or that's interesting. Why did I just regret that mark? What's what's you know what's really underneath it all?" And that's ultimately what was coming. And what's really important about sketch poetic in the practice for me is there's nothing to do. I'm a, I'm a performance-driven person. I'm an academically different person. And for me, the, the healing wasn't the doing. It was just being able to sit in the discomfort of all those feelings. And I'm not used to that. I wasn't used to that. I'm used to just pushing it. If I'm uncomfortable, I'll be like, oh, it's not perfect. I'll, I'll throw it away. I'll start a new sketchbook. <laughs> so that's what I was doing my entire life. Yeah, that's a powerful shift when that, when yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, but it's a gradual shift too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, is, it is like a key, like you said, the moment you understand it, it unlocks a part of you. And it is, it is the duality, like my entire book's written in a duality way, right? It's, it's about the reality of healing is that, and for me, and this is more my perspective, I never just sit in one state. I'm always aware that there's a shadowed state. Even if I'm in the shadow, I know there's a light state. And what I'm noticing with COVID and the pandemic is there's more of us sitting in the darker states right now. Actually, more people are comfortable sitting in the shadowed state that I've observed. And what they're actually concerned about or fearing is the joy. Like I, they can't even sit in the joy sometimes because it's, it feels like it's going to be fleeting. So why hold on to it? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that is why sketching is so powerful to me. Because the reality is it's all transient, right? It's all temporary. Mm-hmm. But if we're afraid of that state, Versus the permanence, which is where we also fear. So there's this fear of emotions that is so profoundly moving to me. Yeah. And there's just, there is so much fear. So much fear. So much fear. When did you realize that you had sort of stumbled upon a method that could be helpful to other people? Like as you're doing this, like at what point did you go, oh, I think Mm -hmm. I need to. Yeah. You said something earlier that it's my favorite mantra. When you go inward and you find the inner peace and remember who you are, it is a byproduct to be the, of service to the greater good. You, you can't not be of service to answer. So that what ended up happening is I started experiencing inner peace. Like for somebody like me to feel inner peace, it felt like so, something so elusive. And so I thought, do people know? <laughs> like I, I genuinely was sitting at a coffee shop and I'm going, do people know that you can reach the state through sketching? Because nobody told me that. And I have been a drawer sketcher my entire life, like as a, as a child. And so I said, Did, does anyone know this? And it just so happens that my background is facilitating workshops. And so that's not a coincidence, right? No. It's not a coincidence I come from that background. And so I decided to host my first workshop and started teaching this. So I already had the fundamentals and comfort level around facilitating. And what was happening is I was just observing people and starting to deconstruct the the steps needed to make it happen. So the more workshops they did, the more solidified into more simple states. Amazing. And I love that, that, you know, the realization that like, oh, oh, it's not a coincidence that I had this, like it all adds up. Like sometimes you're like, why am I, 
why am I doing this right now? And you'll, you know, if you're careful, you realize, oh, yeah. it will be revealed to me at some point in the future why yeah. I'm so good at facilitation or why I've done all that. Right. You know, yeah. yeah. Why, why somebody from the business tech wor- world that was, I mean, I, I was on a path, like I was yeah. clearly on a path that suddenly <laughs> decided detour, but I'm it. taking all of that in and bringing it into, the, and you're a bridge builder. And I know I see that in you as well. We build bridges. We need more of us, people yeah. that can speak two very different languages. Yeah. And can connect the dots. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the book a little bit, but I just I have a couple more questions before I get into the juicy parts of the book. But mm. um the in the book, you wrote about how uh for you the title artist, uh, and I love how you put this, you wrote felt like a crown you didn't feel deserving of. Mm. Oh, and it makes me so sad to hear. Well, that resonated for me because I've been a professional artist for most of my life. I've been in art school since I was, I went to a high school that was like fame. Do you remember fame? The TV mm-hmm. show? Yeah. Oh, so I, I was lucky fame. enough to go to a high school that was like that. It's been, I mean, it's just who I am. It's everywhere. And so I've, I've had a very deep and abiding connection with my own creativity. It feels like a, my best friend that's never, like, it feels like a person that lives inside of me that is my best friend. Yeah. And I just thought everybody had that. Um, and so when I would be in the public selling my work and people would come up to me and be like, oh, you're an artist. I wish I could be an artist. And they would sort of stare off into space. And that must've happened to me. I I can't even count thousands of times that happened Mm. to me. Um, And at first it made me really sad because I thought, and uncomfortable because I felt like I had this thing that the people didn't have and had, Mm -hmm. but then it started to dawn on me as I got clearer that I wanted to be in service to something. And I was trying to figure out what it was. Uh, it became clear to me that this thing that I loved that lived inside me was the thing I needed to be in service to. And the service was about helping it come out in all the places it wants to come out, which is everywhere. Everywhere. Um, but I was wondering how you got to a place where you felt that you could call yourself an artist. Uh, I still remember the day I even said it. I was 42. And, you know, the crown statement is really the the metaphor of how I saw art. I had such reverence for art and for artists, but I had reverence for it in two ways. One, how society perceived art, right? And I put this in the book as well. There, you know, artists, unless you're in a gallery, unless you're really technically flawless, unless people buy your work, all, and if you notice all of the descriptions are external validation, there's nothing internal about those statements, right? And so there's that. But the other reverence I had is I, I've always felt like I was born in the wrong era. One of my favorite movies is Midnight in Paris. I used to always want to host salons. And I loved the era in which artists were considered that, you know, the cream of society, that, that the top of society, writers, dancers, because we revered it in the way that it should have been revered. And what has happened, and I can say this because I was in the tech consulting space, is we're looking at these entrepreneurs, these tech gods making billions of dollars, having all this power, and they're revered in society. And no judgment around the people that do revere them. But what ends up happening is the value systems of our society changes. So creativity becomes a a hack or creativity becomes a tool. It's not the essence of who we are. And that's what we're trying to say collectively together is it's not external. Creativity is within us. And if we can figure out a way to tap into who we've always been, then society will start to to see us in that way. And so for me, the dialogue changed and shifted to answer your question. It wasn't about, this is a crown I have to wear now. 
I've always been a creator. I've always been an artist. And the shift happened when I found that inner peace. And and for me, because a lot of my work is through trauma, uh, I, I really always associated creativity to escape and disconnect from my body. And so if I were to really unpack that connection point, it's when I started to come back into my body. And that is what my book does that I think is unique to what other creative books do, is I constantly talk about my body and what's happening to my body. And it's almost taking the psychology and neuroscience and the physiology parts of science and and just threading it back into the creative practice. So that's, you know, it's a complex answer, but the reality is it's a complex challenge that we have to go through to to get back to who we are. Yeah. I I mean, I absolutely agree. And I I feel like for me, one of the starting points that I want us to agree to is that we need to redefine creativity because we've, you know, it's this limited thing. It's like, it's art, it's sculpture, it's this, it lives in this little tiny place. But no, the way I look at it is that it's like, we are this engine that has two main components and they are both absolutely required and complement each other mm-hmm. and in order to move and in order to move properly through the world. Like creativity to me is like your internal GPS system. When you need to make a decision about, do I take that job? Do I not take that job? Like ever notice that when you do the pro con list for that, you're in a cycle. You can't, because there's, you totally. can, you can talk about, you talk yourself into anything, you know, cause it's, it's like, yes or no. But when you tap into your heart and you're, mm. you need that. And so what we've done is we've, we've, shoved down creativity and our access to it. And I, the image I have is like a sea turtle with one flipper. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just using this one part of ourselves. The, it's the yeah. rational mind. We're just stuck using that. And so of course we're swimming in circles. And I mean, it's, yeah. we're back to why we're glitching and stuff, but um, okay. Get, tell us a little bit more about the book. What is it and, and how does it work? So the book is, I call it a love child between the artist way, how, how the body keeps score and the surrender experiment. And those three books were profoundly, uh, they changed my life in many different ways. So it is a, I call it a a workbook slash guidebook. So the idea is when I was doing the workshops, I couldn't scale. I couldn't do enough of them. And I'm like, how am I the hell am I supposed to to get this out to the world? Had no desire to write a book, Kate, ever. It was never in my purview, which tells you why Sketch Poetic is so magical. Uh, But I got a random Instagram message from a former coworker's wife. She said, I've been following you on Instagram. And you've changed my life. And I think you should write a book. And if you want to write one, I want to write it with you. <laughs> That's truly how it started. And her name is Rachel Smith. She's, got, she's credited in the book. And she's also an art professor that teaches the artist way. And so it was like, again, kismet, serendipity, synchronicity. Wow. And I said, are you kidding? I've been trying to figure out how to scale and let's do it. So I jumped on, on that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the essence of the book. But the, the, I, I would say the foundation of the book is I wrote it in a way as if I was sitting with you because the, the two, I guess, two pitfalls that I've seen of people in the workshops when they think about sketching through healing is one, the creative pitfalls, right? I'm not an artist and all the things that come with it. And then there's the emotional part of it. And so you're having to really think about two very different paths that if you're not comfortable, A, feeling your emotions, expressing your emotions, you have to overcome that. And then you layer on top your perceptions and expectations about art. It's a whole nother ballgame. So really what my book does, it's written in a way that there's narratives that help you connect with the structure and the essence of what we're trying to do. There's prompts that help you to actually do it in practice. And then I included testimonials because I wanted people to see that 
this isn't just something that worked for me. It's worked for a number of people in different populations. So that's the structure of the book and what the book's about. And it's, I see it as 21 different ways to connect with it. I don't necessarily expect people to do it cover to cover. If you do that, that's great. But even if one chapter gets you to connect the dot of the mind-body-spirit connection of creativity, then I feel like, great, that's perfect. And if it opens the door to you playing the guitar, knitting, gardening, whatever is your mode of choice, I'm not possessive about sketching. And I think you're not possessive about painting or however, you and I are both lovers of creative expression as a whole. So for me, it's the entire gamut of creative creativity. If this is a gateway, that's great. I love that it's a container because as a, you know, I, I, I love the act of creating itself. And so, I mean, I have a jewelry business, which has been kind of my, like, that's my day job. And I, but I weave and I knit and I sculpt. I mean, I do all the things, but I love that sketching is the container for this process. Because I think if you're going to give yourself to something as a daily practice, it's, it, it could be helpful to have it be, you know, there's that idea of freedom by limitation. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'm going to give myself to sketching as the thing, because if it's everything, then sometimes you sit down and you're like, well, I could do anything. So then you're yeah. like, but I, so I can, I can't do anything. Cause it's too, it's too broad and vast. Um, you talk in the book about how making art can help us heal and transform our lives. And, and I know that that's true. And I know we've been talking about it a little bit, but I wondered something I want to know more about is what is the mechanics of that? Like yeah. how, what's going on there when where you talk about the loop between you know, your hand and the mind and the mm-hmm. talking about integrating experiences. But can, can you tell us a little bit about the mechanics? Of what's yeah, actually no, on? I think it's really important to discuss the mechanics because if I were even just to go back to how I even started, I think the paradigm in which I was sketching was different than how I'd ever sketched before. And one of the things I want to clarify is why I say sketching. In the art world, as you know, sketches, if you go to retrospectives of masterpieces or people that are um, you know, classic artists, it's often the sketches that I would fall in love with because they were never meant to be seen. They were the thing that led the process to the masterpiece. And I love that metaphor is that sketches were never meant to be seen. They were just these fast moving things that, that, that got you to the place you needed to go. So that in itself. Uh, but but the, really the simple thing is when I'm sketching, I think of it as a purging of what's inside out. So there's a couple of things that are happening. One, I'm giving it permission to be seen. So if I'm feeling shame, right, and I'm sketching about shame, there is an unconscious and beautiful poetic thing that happens that I'm giving it permission to be seen. I'm actually letting it sit outside of myself in a safe container of a blank canvas. That in itself is healing. Just, oh, it's like it's out there. Now you're giving it permission to be seen. Once you see it, though, you can no longer unsee it. And so what ends up happening is you see it. And again, the thoughts, experiences, memories come and you start to engage with that. And then this is where, for me, the simplest way to describe it is the moment you allow your subconscious and unconscious to come into the conscious field. So the moment you become aware of any of it, that is the healing. Mm. So you don't need to do anything with it. So for example, if I feel like memories of my father, so I I came, I I grew up in a very uh, abusive domestic violence type of household. So it was very volatile. If I, if I, if those images of my father came and all that anger bubbles up, like, why didn't I stand up and say something, right? What ends up happening is I feel those emotions, but because I'm giving it permission to like come, come outside of me, you know, and, and, and sorry, come from the inside out, I've expressed that I've given it permission to be seen. And then what ends up happening is there's an acceptance and forgiveness that happens. 
And that's also healing. It's just the, 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 I guess the acceptance is the biggest thing for me. We talk about forgiveness, but I think the, the, for me, the healing is the self part of it. So I'm very compassionate. I'm very, I very much feel other people's feelings, but when it comes to my own feelings, I never gave myself compassion mm. to embrace anger and sadness and all the things. And, and I heard that exhale and that, mm, so many of us do that, mm-hmm. right? How many times do we cry for other people? But the moment we think about sadness for ourselves, it's a different, I often think, is there a different chemistry to, to tears of sadness for ourselves and others? Who knows, but. Well, I don't know, but it's reminding me of a little, I have a nine-year-old son and this afternoon he had a, he was really upset with me for something and he really screamed at me and he was, he was really, Mm. he said some mean things. And he afterwards, as we often do when, when the anger has passed and he's lying on the bathroom floor and he was just like in tears saying he's sorry and he didn't mean any of it. I stood there with him and said, I know, sweetheart, and I've already forgiven you. It's okay. But, you know, but, but can you forgive yourself? Because what you're doing right now on the floor is you're, you're, I've forgiven you. It's over where I love you. I know what you were like, listen, we all lose our shit. And I even said, I mean, I said that. Yeah, I know. I do. You just, I all you did was you lost your shit for a minute. It's okay. Yeah. But I really need to know that you can forgive yourself. And he, he had such a hard time forgiving himself. And so we worked through it and he ended up, I said, okay, well, can you, can you 90% forgive yourself? You know, if you can't, yeah. and he said, fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> so yeah. we got there, but I think there is something to that. And it, it also reminds me of, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm making a piece of art, uh, I, I might, I might make this, let's say this painting behind me and, mm-hmm. you know, you might fall in love with it and I might look at it and go, yeah, but that line isn't right. And, yeah. The thing that we hate about our art is actually the thing that makes it so special. It's us, yeah. but we're, we can't see that because we're so busy being so hard on ourselves. And I, so I think you're onto something. I think, I think it is true. Like we're, we're not. Well, we have to go back to the emotional connection of mm-hmm. it though. Is what, because when you're looking at it, I mean, I would venture to say, and I know you're agree, you, you would agree with me here. When you're looking at that mark that you don't like, underneath it is an emotion you don't want to feel or an emotion you don't want to see. I have yet to not, I have yet to not experience that in a workshop where that is the truth. And the deeper, this is the thing too, the deeper we go inward, the more universal the truth. And, and that's really interesting because people have all the reasons why they may not like their art or their creativity, but underneath it all, there's this common themes that we all struggle with belonging, right? Seeking love, seeking, uh, you know, that sense of safety. For me, it was safety. Safety is my hundred percent, my, at the core of everything I do. This episode of Creative Genius is brought to you by Morning Moon Nature Jewelry. Instantly familiar, yet unlike anything you've ever owned, this extraordinary handcrafted heirloom jewelry is famous for its incredible detail of actual textures from nature. Get 15% off your first order and feel the wonder. Use coupon code CREATIVEGENIUS at lovemorningmoon.com. So I'm wondering about the person because you're you're obviously a very astute and observant person, and that that struck me when I was reading the book too. And this this is actually something I wanted to ask you because I feel like not everybody would be able to do a sketch and be like, oh, have that sort of awareness and presence of mind to say like, I don't like that gesture, and I, and to be able to trace it back. So is is for somebody who's doing this book, let's say they go out and they, and do go out and get this book. It's a wonderful book. Do go out and get it and, mm-hmm. and do some of these sketches. Um, but for, so when you get to the point where you're, where you're 
having to sort of interpret messages from your sketches? Like, how does that part work? And can you learn that? Or how important is it to learn that part of it? And how, you know, how do you do that? Oh, I love answering this question because it's much, much more intuitive than people realize. And if I explain it this way, you'll understand. So because I grew up in a challenging, traumatic childhood, there's a term in psychology called hypervigilance. And it's when you read into every acute thing, whether it's voice, movement, because you are anticipating something. Guess what? We all do it. I guarantee you kids do it on social media. Kids do it in the playground. They do it with their parents. Like kids are watching us like all the time. You know that as parents, they just don't know it's called hypervigilance. They just call it, I'm observing. And basically what ended up happening for me is that what I used to do to survive. So I used hypervigilance to anticipate violence so that I could stay safe. And so that's survival. And so now I use it to thrive. So the way I describe what I do when I'm sketching is actually not ruminating and contemplating. I'm actually reading into the marks the way I used to read into people, but for the different reasons. So now I use uh, hypervigilance to, to thrive rather than just to survive. So it's not would, like, yeah, it, it was just a shift really is all it was. <sighs> does that make sense? Oh, like, it does. Yeah. And but that's I'm the just, way I describe it to people. I'm imagining sort of, so now I feel a lot like more easeful about it. Cause I was wondering, like, I'm going to do these sketches and then do I have to get a degree in learning how to understand what they are or how do I, so it's just as simple as like looking at a, at a, at a gesture and going, how is that, how does that feel? What is that just, what feelings are associated with that? Cause actually it's true. We were just drawing birds before we're doing all these little watercolor birds. And I was showing the kids how one tiny little, like the tiniest micron that I have, one tiny little curve on the beak can make the whole painting. The bird can change the energy of the whole paint. It's like, is he smiling now? Or is he sad? Like one tiny little, so there is energy and gesture. So it's just about looking and connecting to the feeling. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. And here, here's, here, here's a hack for you. If you, if, because we, we tend to intellectualize even the process, which is what we're trying to do. Guilty. (laughs) No, I trust me. I get it. I I'm, I'm wired very similarly. Show the sketch that you have to another person. So this is something I talk about in the book to tread lightly because in the art world, we tend to show our creativity with the goal of affirmation or validation or critique in those three areas. There is only two questions I ask people to ask when you're sharing a sketch. And this, if you can do this with another person, then you'll understand how to internalize it for yourself. You show them the sketch and you do this with your child and you say this, What's the, what do you see and what does it make you feel? And they're going to answer it in any which way. Then the response is equally as important. Your, your response isn't, oh, that's not what I was trying to create or that's not what I was. You say, well, that's really interesting. That's interesting that you saw that because this is what I saw. Or that's interesting you felt that because this is what I was feeling. So now you've created a connection to dialogue around emotions and art. So that's all I'm doing is I'm having that same conversation with myself. But if you were to do that with a partner, that's how you would do it. So you're not reading into the marks. You're asking yourself those two questions. What am I seeing? And how am I feeling when I see it? Amazing. And then you're just dialoguing with yourself at that point. That's it. That's truly all you're doing. Amazing. You don't need philosophy or... I had over, I had <laughs> over, I was like, I need to ask Sheila where the guidebook is <laughs> so that I can learn how to interpret my... Oh, I'm even more excited to do more sketches now. <laughs> well, no, but let's talk about that. Just to unpack it. That in itself is a beautiful... Uh, learning for yourself, right? Is that you were already, and I did the same thing, intellectualizing it because that's who you are. We were in our heads so much. So 
that that's it. That is the learning. It's like, oh, there you go. That's what I do. <laughs> so I that was happening to me throughout the whole process. It's like, oh, I didn't realize I did that. Well, and I think it is, you know, that and that hypervigilance is that we we it sounds like we had a very similar, I had a very traumatic childhood as mm. well. And that hypervigilance is a trauma response. And it's, yeah. you know, it I love what you how you've uh, transmuted it because I feel like it's like, you know, at one point it's a survival thing, but it, it doesn't have to go away. Just like your thoughts and meditate. That's not the point. We're not trying to make any of these things go away. We're no. trying to figure out how to integrate them and resolve the trauma around them so that we can activate them as tools in, and use them appropriately when they're needed. Right. It's not, yeah. you know, cause it's good that, to be vigilant sometimes, but not all the time. So that you're, hyper is the key. I, yeah. It's when you're hyper. I mean, listen, and by the way, this is the beautiful part when I say I'm healing. I can be hyper vigilant in my sketches and that's not healthy either. So like a running joke with my friends is there, I'll say like, I'm getting a ringing in my ear and they're like, Sheila, you're just getting a ringing in your ear. Meaning I can, again, oversteer because that's who I am. I can overthink and overread into things. So I have to work on that too. Like it's a pendulum, right? (laughs) So the healing is always constant. It's always, and you do need friends and family or people around you to keep you honest because you can ruminate too much. You can think, and that's the same thing with the sketching metaphor. That's the reason I time box it. Because if you spend too much time sketching, the inevitability is you've lost your way in the reason you did it in the first place. You're trying to perfect it or try and find meaning into it. And it doesn't, it's not a job. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. the fraud. It's the falling in love with the process again. Mm-hmm. You write in the book that many of us early on had our faith shaken and grew up with this sense of doubt that anything extraordinary could be A, even inside us, but B, be available to us in our lives. And you wrote, and this is a quote from the book, I think, it is a fundamental belief of ours that contentment is clearly for somebody else. Mm. Um, and this seems to be really widespread. And and I think that there is the sea change. You talked earlier about the tsunami and there's there's an, there's an awakening, there's a tide rising, there's a, I can feel it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for somebody who is in a place where they're feeling like, I have spent most of my life believing that nothing could be, life couldn't be extraordinary for me. Um, is it possible to generate a new kind of believing through a practice like this? And if, if there is, how, how can you begin to have that be the intention around something like this? Oh gosh. I mean, this question is such a great question, but I could, we could, it's so layered. It's so layered. I can only speak to it on a personal level. I think the, the answer is in the question of extraordinary, what we define as extraordinary, similar to art, right? I had a reverence around being an artist, that, that crown, that heavy crown on my head. And it's because I had it on a pedestal. So if I were to unpack that with anyone that I was working with in any workshop is I would ask them, what's a definition of extraordinary life for you? And what you might find is that life that you describe as extraordinary is not even the life that you prescribe to. It was conditioned by society, something that your parents taught you, something you fell in love with in a movie. It's, it's, it's a dream-like state. And, the, and if you were to ask yourself, do you really want that? I don't know what the statistics are, but I'd venture to say most people actually don't even want it. It's just that they've held on to this idea that it's eluded them for so long. Now that's become part of their story. And so the question is, why is something have to be extraordinary to be powerful? And so that's why the inner and part of my story that I talk about is silence. Silence was something that eluded me forever. And 
And because of my childhood, I was able to connect the dot that silence for me. And this is a bit of a triggering comment, but I'll just share it, but I'll, I'll be very high level is because I had a domestic violence childhood. I would often be sent to my room whenever my, my mom anticipated it. But what she was unaware is in the room when it was dark and I'm listening to the violence escalate when it was dead silence, I actually didn't know if she was alive. Like that's how severe the, the trauma was. So in my unconscious, I associated silence with death. And I didn't know that. You know how powerful that piece of the puzzle is? So my entire life, radio on, podcasts, you know, like noise, 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 noise. And noise doesn't have to be actually just physical noise. It was just frenetic energy. I couldn't sit still because that stillness unconsciously was connecting me to such a, a, a time in my life that I felt so unstable. And so I was feeling that on the plane, by the way, Kate. And that's the reason why I hated turbulence. It wasn't the turbulence itself that was rocking my world. It was every time that the fuselage in the, that plane was turbulent, I was actually unconsciously, subconsciously connecting back to my turbulence in my childhood. But none of this I knew. I wasn't aware of any of it. And I couldn't sit with any of this because I was so afraid that chaos would ensue. And what art did is it gave me a safe container to play in that chaos. Mm. Because to your earlier point, and it's the thing that connects us and binds us together as sisters, is we really do feel safe in our creative creativity. So any heaviness that we feel doesn't feel heavy when you're creating. Yeah, that was a lot that I just shared there. But. No, and actually, it, I'm glad you shared it. Thank you, because I had pulled out the passage from the book that you shared about being, you know, needing to have ambient sounds around you and the music. And I was going to actually read that here because I wanted to ask you, you know, for the for the people that are out there going, listening to this going, yeah, I can't have, I need to have the TV on. I need to be looking at my iPad. I need to be checking my, you know, it's that silence is terrifying for a whole, you know, spectrum of reasons. But But for somebody who's facing that right now and maybe going, okay, but maybe I'm willing to be willing to start to be with it in a different way. What, what would you say to them? It's more of a, uh, a remembrance of, you know, when we think about memories, like when we think about it, our memories in the past, we understand that they have emotions attached to it, right? The first time you had ice cream or, you know, the, you know there's a lot of good memories too. But what we don't realize is when we're feeling a certain, when we're feeling emotions, memories are attached to it. So every time we feel sad, we're actually feeling all of the times we've been sad in our lives. We don't really know it. And so the reason the pandemic was so hard is that for the first time, people had to be still in silence, not busy. And so what was uncomfortable wasn't just the pandemic. It was unconsciously, subconsciously reminding them and remembering all the times they've had to sit in that discomfort. And so now what we're asking people to do is use tools to help express it. So there's one thing to sit with it. And this is why I think my book is out there along with other people like yourself doing this podcast is there's three parts to emotions that I feel are fundamental. There's the feeling of it, which is something I ran away from. Not all of the spectrum of feelings, but some of them. There's the feeling of it. There's the expressing of it. So anger, really good at feeling anger, really crappy at expressing it. And then finding meaning in it. And that's what my book does is it helps you to do all three of those things. Because again, in all three of those categories, certain emotions, I was really good at feeling, but terrible at expressing certain emotions. I'm good at expressing, but terrible at feeling for myself. And then finding meaning, I never really did because I didn't even do the first two. And so that's what sketch by sketch does is using sketching. It helps you sit in all three of those things. 
And one of the things you said earlier that I really want to touch on, because especially for people like us that are so, you know, performance and intellectualized, not every sketch is going to have any of that. <laughs> some sketches you just, right. you're just I'm doodling. glad you said that. Yeah. 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 So give yourself some grace. But here's the great thing for every hundred sketches you do, even if one sketch puts that piece of the puzzle, which is what happened to me with the silence equals death puzzle, that was a, that was maybe one sketch that got me there, but that probably took 60 sketches to get there. Right. That's what I, and so you might need 60 sketches before you get to that one sketch. And that's the reason I, I actually encourage people to do daily sketching because it's the sketches you think mean nothing that actually means something because it's building onto something that's leading you somewhere. You just don't know where yet. And that's okay. Just don't get attached to any of it. And that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Just detaching did, from it. Did you have, were there, in your own kind of journey with it, was there times when you just thought, I can't, I don't want to do this every day anymore. I'm going to oh, get God, like, yeah. and what, how did you, because you talk about plateauing, not meaning what people, what you think it means. And so no, I want to ask I, you about that. And I also want to ask you about like, what do you do when you hit a wall? And this is a daily practice that you may not know that you're, you're on sketch 60 and you're two sketches away from the breakthrough. Like you don't know that because it hasn't happened yet. How do you keep yourself involved? You're going to giggle because the answer is the healing. So the first time I hit a plateau, was because I wasn't growing anymore. I wasn't getting any depth into it, right? So I, I, it was like, I think of a, a visual of sediments, like I'm excavating, excavating, and then I hit this one sediment and I cannot excavate further. And I wanted to give up because I'm like, I was, I was so addicted to the growth and to the like, you know, fireworks. So that, but again, what did I do? I sat in the discomfort because that's what I had to do. Ah. I asked myself... <laughs> That's not what I wanted to hear. No, but this is the question. Now, but I asked myself the question, why do I want to, why do I want to stop sketching? And it was this, it's like, I'm sitting and I'm not growing. Why is not growing really making you uncomfortable? And so I started again, asking questions, it's just curiosity. And then I was okay with it. The moment I realized why, and everybody's going to have a different plateau. That was mine. The second reason is I started to have an audience in mind. So part of the reason I wanted to stop sketching was I was posting daily on Instagram and I had finally like detached myself from this idea of having an audience. But then I realized there were sometimes when I was sketching that I was already thinking about the post of what am I going to say? And so instead of stopping sketching, I just stopped posting. Like that was an easy fix. But at the time I was, I was struggling and wrestling with that dilemma and I don't know why. Uh, but I think I was, again, getting caught up in pleasing the audience or making sure that people, I was connecting with the audience. So the answer to the question is really simple, Kate. When you're uncomfortable, there's a reason. And that's it. And so I, I just continue to sketch daily because I believe in the process. I just believe in it. And even now, by the way, I'm, I'm in that plateau because I'm so busy that my sketches are mostly like every now and then I'll sketch a, a piece that I feel is poignant or something meaningful to me. But lately, I've just been sketching to sketch. And that's okay because I know it's a practice. You know, one of the things we have to be aware of is when I say society is conditioned us to believe a certain way, one of the things that I'm observing in the health and wellness space is we commoditize the market certain tenants. And so I want people to know that when I say I'm not possessive of my book, I'm not. What I want to do is help catalyze people to think for themselves, catalyze people to to come back home to themselves. So if my book is just a seed of an idea that gets you to think about what that might be, great. But I'm not saying if you do this, you're going to heal. If you do this, you're going to transform. That's not, that's all you, baby. It's all you. And so I do worry that in the health and wellness space, we've somehow 
market marketed or you know commoditized the, this this thing that we're doing and it shouldn't be commoditized because everybody's different. That's right. It, I mean, it's an inside job. That's one of it my is. favorite. That's one of my favorite. And actually, one of the teacher that I would go to in California all the time. That was kind of like his big. You'd go in and there'd be these big banners that he'd have printed, and they. It's an inside job. Like you, you can come to me and I can be your guru and all that. But it, this is all you. I would go through these phases of having these like expanded like state experiences and also like awareness of like awakenings and realize deeper levels and new things and my like I could feel that happening. And then I would hit these like times when, you know, six months would go by and I'd been drinking a ton and partying with my friends. And I, it was like, I forgot. It was like, I fell asleep yep. and I did fall asleep. And I remember talking to a really good friend of mine who was a, 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 uh, some sort of counseling therapist. I don't know what her letters were, but she said to me, what do you do at the end of every day? And I said, well, I wash my face, brush my teeth, go to bed. And she said, and then what do you do? And I said, I go to sleep. And she said, uh-huh. And then what? And I said, I don't know. I wake up in the morning. She said, no, there's a whole bunch of things you're doing while you're sleeping. Your body's releasing chemicals that are literally only released while you're asleep. Important things are happening when you're sleeping. And mm. I feel like they're, those plateaus, creative blocks, I mean, whatever we want to call them, yep. I see them in a totally different way now. I realize that they're actually such an important, we may not find value in them because there's not an output the way that we want to have when we're like, you know, mm -hmm. but making art and trying to sell it or not, whatever. Yeah. But there is actually something really, really valuable that happens yeah. when we're asleep. And when I we're love resting. that. Yeah. I love that. I might have to reuse that in terms of helping people connect with the plateaus because this is the great thing. What you just did is you said a similar thing in a different way. Right. And I do believe there's going to be a lot more sketch by sketch type books gonna, that's going to be out there just like mine is an original. I don't believe what I do is original. What I think is happening is I have a story and experience that's uniquely mine and I've been able to connect the dots for me. And if I'm able to connect the dots for somebody else, great. But the actual art itself, the, the, the process itself is not unique. I've just been able to frame it differently. And that's the great thing about storytelling and the way we talk. And that's why I think podcasts are so important is even just in the way we're dialoguing about it, we're going to connect with somebody that will hear it differently because the way we're talking about it. Yeah. So that's, that was really beautiful what you just said. And, and trusting. There was a, a couple episodes ago, uh, it's Jules Astera, and she talked about... Um, scattering seeds and, and how, you know, if a dandelion worried that every single seed that it was scattering, you know, if it tried to follow it and find out, you know, it, you can't, it can't, you have to scatter the seeds and just trust that yes. one will, one will bloom and but land where it needs to. And it yeah, only and, takes one though. And it only takes one. That's the yeah. beautiful part. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, I, I have this sense that there are a lot of people who are living with this feeling that something about their lives is not quite right. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're feeling a yearning for like a life, uh, for like a calling or a life's purpose or, or, or they're even just, maybe they're in a relationship that doesn't work and they don't know that yet. Or, um, and, but I think a lot of people can identify with the sort of not this feeling with the, can this process help us with that? Figure out what the this is? Cause I think it's good. To, it's easy to figure out what the not this is, but how can we figure out what the oh, this is? I it's definitively, for me, I can say it's definitively what I said earlier, and I'm going to repeat it. When you go inward and you remember who you are, the byproduct is being of service to the greater good. Whether you call that purpose or not, that's up to you. But the moment we can be of service to something outside of ourselves, everything feels and looks different. And you know this as somebody that embodies that. 
And, and, and there's the dirty secret. And, and this is the dirty secret of my own healing is as much as I can reflect back on all of these things that I used to feel shameful, perfectionism, people pleasing. I was deemed successful in society. I had a great family, I have a, you know, a beautiful home. I had a successful job. So society said I was successful. I'm outgoing. I have friends, but inside I wasn't mm-hmm. inside. I was all messed up. Right. But I was really good at presenting what I, what society has said is, is successful. So this idea of finding your purpose, again, I think it's laced with what people think purpose is just like when we talk about being an extraordinary life. I don't think it's ours. I don't think these, any of these definitions are ours. I, I genuinely believe, and I can speak for myself and what I've seen in people when I work with them is we don't realize how much of other people we embody as our own in terms mm-hmm. of their expectations, their beliefs, their values. And so I think just coming back to who you are and sketching is the whole purpose of this daily sketching is to go inward, to to remember who you are. And it's all this unpacking of crap that we've layered upon layer. So when I say the word transformation in the business world, if you get paid to help a business or brand transform, it's to help them evolve into something greater, right? For me, transformation is coming home to who you've always been. And that's my definition of transformation now, but it wasn't always the case. It was always going to be better, Sheila, the, the bigger, better version of myself. And so now I'm very at peace with who I am. Am I flawed? Absolutely. I'm not, the, you know, I'm going to have moments of being a, you know, like a flawed parent, a flawed spouse, a flawed daughter, but I'm okay with all of it now. <laughs> you know, it's like, I am, I, I am who I am, but I, at least I feel all of it now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, 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 so much of that resonates for me. I remember when I, you know, because for, for years I was like, I just, I had this yearning to, it, like I was shared a little bit about it a minute ago where I just wanted to be in service to something mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like, I'm not, what do I have to offer? I'm, I'm an artist. I, I'm like, I don't know. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I sat with it and sat with it. And one day I sat with it long enough to go, oh, I'm an artist. And my, <laughs> I have this, like amazing connection with creativity and, and not everybody does. And maybe I can help like, and then it just clicked. It was like there, but it was that it was connected to this. It wasn't that I was like trying to live this extraordinary life. It was, I just had this, like, it felt like this, like longing to give myself to something. And I couldn't figure out what it was until I got to know, until I looked, turned around and looked at myself and was like, well, what am I? What is my superpower? <laughs> and then it, it's so it's it is it is yeah. that though. But how yeah. many of us don't want to know and see that part of ourselves? I realized I actually didn't say what the dirty little secret was for me. The dirty little secret was I gave myself all the credit. Mm. So every time society said Sheila, you're successful. Guess what I was doing? I was patting myself on the back, like oh, I did all that. And the dirt and the dirty little secret about going inward and finding who you are is you realize that once you unpack all of that, there is something greater at play. There is, and whether you call it mystic or consciousness or God or, and, and I would say that because I, and I'm glad we're kind of closing out this conversation in this way, because I do think what's going to happen is I was having a crisis of faith. Um, I really didn't believe in something greater than myself. Like I was, I grew up Catholic and I rebelled against, against Catholicism. And then I explored different theologies and I definitely believed it, but I didn't act, you know, it's like, it was like, I believed it intellectually but I didn't embody that belief. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I sure Cre- do. Creativity got me to believe in something because when I'm creating, 
I know I'm tapping into something all the time. Like there's, I'm like, there, that's coming from somewhere. I don't know where it's coming from. And if I can help people feel that, then I think what it will, it'll evolve into more of a spiritual conversation with people. And, 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 that, and that's why I'm not heavy handed about it. I don't call this a spiritual practice, but it is. So in the book, you've got 40 prompts for sketching. And I wanted to say, I love, I love that this, and I think you come right out and say it in the book. It's not like you get through them and then you're like, okay, done next book. You can circle back to repeating um, ones that you loved or ones that were maybe sticky and you didn't want to do. And this is like an ongoing, this can be kind of your manual. Like if this, if this lands for you, like for, for those of you listening, if you end up doing that, you can go back and keep doing it. I wondered if you would walk us through, uh, at the beginning of the episode, I told everybody to go and get their markers if they have them or, or a pen at the very least, because we're not going to do this in pencil. And if if you would walk us through uh, a sketch. Yeah, it's really, this is great. If you do not have a book, this is what I would do with you in a workshop, a coffee shop. So there's three steps. The first thing is a body scan. So what you would envision, and you can do this with me now, is from, if imagine an x-ray machine going from the top of your head and slowly going down your body all the way to the tips of your toes. And the things I want you to pay attention to is, do you have a migraine, eye strain? Is your jaw tight? Is your shoulders tight? Internal organs, are you hungry? Does your, you know, is your heart beating fast, your pulse, all of those things. As you're going down to your hips and your legs, do you feel soreness? Do you feel a lower back strain? All you're doing is what I call cataloging. It's data gathering. You're not, not going to do anything with this. You're simply going to do a body scan. Now, I do this at a coffee shop, so it's 30 seconds for me. But you can also be more meditative about it and get yourself in a beautiful meditative state and using it as like a precursor to that state. Um, so for me, for me right now, I feel really relaxed. I have a little bit of tension in my shoulders due to stress. So what I do is I catalog it, right? The second is you ask yourself a question. How am I feeling right now? There's usually three different outcomes. I know what I'm feeling. I don't know what I'm feeling. Or I'm feeling a lot. <laughs> Again, nothing to do. Just So right now, I feel really, really giddy, excited. I feel really happy talking to you. So those are the things that I, I would feel. Now, the third is my brain hack. So if sketching and drawing is intimidating, proposition for you. This is how I want you to do it. Three different ways you can do this. One is think of your pen as a dancer and the canvas as a dance floor. And if I was feeling peace right now, you wouldn't draw a dove or a peace sign. I would ask you to sketch what peace feels like. For example, does peace feel fast or does it feel slow? Are the movements big or are they smaller? Does it feel light or does it feel heavy? So you're using your pen like a dancer. The second is music. Music, everyone understands music. Similar idea. If you were to write an orchestrated piece of a peaceful sound, again, is the sound high or low? Is it heavy or, you know, or is it fast or slow? So again, using different constructs. The third one is for anyone that says they're not creative at all. And there's always that one person in the, in the room. I cannot have any creative bone in my body. I do a thing called hatching, which is also like blades of grass. If you have no idea what to do, you simply get your piece of paper and you're just going to do blades of grass. And here's what's going to happen, Kate. You do them enough. You actually start to see it like, you know, when you stare at clouds when you're a kid and you start to see shapes. If you do this long enough, you're actually going to start to see something. And that's your catalyst to sketch through that. So a lot of my sketches, most people don't even notice it because I've had those days where I'm like, I don't know what to sketch. So I'll just start doing 
he's hash. And that's all you do. That is, that is the, that is sketch poetic. What I just did for you. And I have taught this at coffee shops with a person next to me at air at, on an air, air, air um, on a plane. And that's all you do. Body scan. How do I feel? Use all those things and sketch through it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Simple. And then just, again, just let all those thoughts, emotions, and experiences, think of them as a current. And you're just, the goal is to not be attached to any of it. And that's the hard part. Right. We, that we do get attached. Like, that's why we get rabbit, what do they call it? Monkey brains when you yeah. get attached to a thought. Yeah. Thank you for that. that was that, that helpful? That was great. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tell you, we did, um, my kids and I did, there's a sketch, I can't remember which name of the sketch it was, but there's one where you, where you work together with other people and you rotate the, we did that and we had a lot of fun. That's really my cool. favorite. Mm-hmm. I have one for you as a parent. Okay. Um, just, and I just do uh, three or four lines. Each of you just do three or four marks and then swap paper and build upon it. Same idea. Same idea. I love it. We're totally going to do that. Thank you for coming today. Oh my, I feel like we could talk for hours. I do. I actually, there was like six or seven, eight questions that I never got to get to. So maybe we can have you back one day. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I'm going to have you as a guest in one of my shows. So we'll we'll do that. Okay. I'll I'll be there. Oh, I have one last question for you. It's the billboard question. Did I tell you about the billboard? Yes. So yes. I'll say it for you now so that it can refresh your mind. If you had a billboard that every person in the world who just had this longing to be creative, to to take, you know, put that crown on their head and say they're an artist and be creative, but really just feels like they're not good enough. They don't have it. It's not in them. All of those things. But if they saw this billboard, it would, you knew that the message would get in. What would you put on the billboard? The two words that keep coming up for me is art heals. Mm. Art heals. It's so simple, but I, can I just share this one antidote? Mm-hmm. When, I, when I was writing my book, I actually experienced what people feel like when they start to sketch is I hit every wall. And it's because I was trying to write the book for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a point where I'm like, who am I writing this for? <laughs> and I realized I was writing it for my 15-year-old self. If at 15, somebody told me art heals, I wonder how my life would have gone because I didn't know that this was even a paradigm that I could even wrap my head around. I just didn't understand that it could have done what it's done for me in my forties. And that's, what's beautiful about this whole thing is I really genuinely feel like I, I forget my age a lot of times. I just feel like I'm just now starting my life in many ways. Right. Yeah. So I I see the big smile on your face because I know you get it. And anybody that feels what we feel will feel the same way. It's just like, Oh my God, there it is. Yeah. There it is. There I am. Yeah. (laughs) It's a beautiful feeling. It's a beautiful feeling. And I think, you know, it shines right out of your face. Like yeah. it's so obvious. And I love that. I, there was a meme on Facebook today. I saw something about like people who come out of the fire carrying buckets of water to, you know, to help the next person. Like, I feel like that's just, and there's such a joy in being able to share that healing. And I wanted to close with a line from the book that you wrote. Oh, I love that. Um, there is no right way, only your way. It is in the courage and vulnerability of the doing where the magic lies. Mm. Mm. Thank you for all your words and for, for taking the time to put together this process into a book. I can't even imagine how much work that was and mm. it is. And, and I'm so excited for how many people this will reach and help and heal. And Thank on behalf you. of all of those people and all of their descendants and all of their ancestors who this affects mm. all of us, each one. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. Mm. Oh, that's 
beautiful. I feel so grateful. Me too. As a child, the strategy of hypervigilance may very well have saved Sheila's life. Thank goodness for the wise thing in her that knew to develop this. Carrying this strategy into adulthood, though, began to cause Sheila suffering and anxiety. It prevented her from learning and growing, and ultimately from finding inner peace. This habit she had developed as a child to survive a dangerous situation was no longer serving her. Rather than try to suppress it or make it go away, again, a wise part of Sheila showed up and whispered for her to lean into it, to see it as a superpower, to use it. She began to intentionally access this ability to support herself in noticing what was coming up for her when she was creating her sketches, and in so doing, was able to allow her hypervigilance to be a valuable guide on the journey that ultimately healed her entire life and set her on a brand new path, one that she describes as one of true inner peace, one that she never imagined was possible. If you take one thing from this episode today, I hope it's being open to the possibility that you too may have developed strategies for surviving difficult parts of your past that might not be serving you anymore. And to see that as was true for Sheila, your coping mechanisms hold within them the potential to be among your greatest tools for the transformation that your heart keeps whispering is possible for you. And that creativity wants to show you the way. The word for today's episode was kindness. I feel like that's just so perfect because without kindness, Sheila would never have been able to take this hypervigilance and realize that it had gifts for her. She chose to be kind with herself on her journey. I hope that we can all be kind with ourselves as we go through our own inner explorations. She reminds us that underneath everything, we're all seeking the same universal things, belonging, love, safety. And that when we turn inward, these are the very gifts available to us. To find out where you can get your copy of Sketch by Sketch and to learn more about Sheila and all her amazing work in the world, head over to katesheppardcreative.com slash creativegenius for the show notes. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for my newsletter. Once a month, I pick somebody from that list to send an original piece of art to as a gift from my heart. Thank you for being here, for opening your heart, and for listening. It takes a lot to put together this show, and I'm a fiercely independent person. Recently, though, as I was being curious about ways I might open to receive some support for this work, gratitude birds came to me. I'll tell you more about them in a minute. But before I do, if you feel inspired to make a financial contribution to support the show, please know that I sincerely appreciate every bit of support so much. It will make it possible for me to continue bringing you these inspiring conversations with these beautiful humans every other week. Find out how on patreon.com slash creativegeniuspodcast. Okay, so gratitude birds. I don't know how long I'll do this, but right now, every month, I'll do a limited run of original four and a half by four and a half inch watercolors of the most adorable birds you've ever seen. They all have unique names and superpowers. You can collect them for yourself or you can have me send one directly to a friend 
maybe somebody you want to know that you feel grateful for. Find out more on katesheppardcreative.com. Just look for Gratitude Birds. We have a truly incredible lineup of guests coming up. Do hit the subscribe button in your podcast app right now so you don't miss a single one. And I know it's one of those things that seems like it doesn't matter, but please take a moment to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It really matters. Hearing your words about how the show is reaching your heart is fuel for my passion to keep creating these episodes for you. And it also helps other people learn about the show. Thank you again for listening. May you find and unleash your creative genius.